Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host Shadon Reynolds, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligence and radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Queen. How are you doing this morning? Thank you for holding down the guest co-host spot, if you will. Yes, good morning, good morning. I'm amazing, King. How are you? Doing doing extremely, extremely well. Glad to be in the as I always say, be in the saddle with you again. Thank you for holding me down. Uh, to a certain extent. Uh, you know, I'll highlight this to throw it out to the listeners. You you are kinda of part of the reason we are uh considering doing this show. Uh you definitely wanted to in a sense uh, have some discussions. And I have at least, I know one of my esteemed guests on. I'm trying to see if I can get the other one on. I may have figured that out. But I got a couple, both of them are returning guests. I don't think you've met, but I'm going to go ahead and introduce um, John Costino. How you doing, brother? Thanks for being on with us for this morning's discussion. Do blacks need white allies? You are a returning guest. You've actually been on more than one, on more than one occasion. And so glad to have you back. So I'll get you introduced to Shadon as well. And if y'all, if you will, go ahead and say hello to her as well as to the truth seekers, and give a little bit of your background because you're, you're not one that's, that shies away from these type of conversations. So thanks for being with us, John. Pleasure, and good morning to both of you. My name is John Costino, and uh, Montoya and I met a few years back. I guess it's been almost uh, four, almost five years ago now, uh, as I was the co-host of a radio talk show and podcast that was dealing specifically with race relations along with a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Scott Speed. So this has been something that I have been uh, actively pursuing. Um, I think it's possibly the most important thing, especially 
uh, in our the state of affairs today in our society. So Montoya, thank you so much for the invitation to come back, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, absolutely. And so then I'm gonna throw it back to you. It looks like I'm get, about to get the other guest, Mark Cumming, he should be coming on pretty soon. But I'm gonna throw it back to you as our guest co-host. Make sure that people know who you are. Again, my longtime listeners, they've probably heard you a few times because you've been on the show before as well. But but you you're pretty renowned around here in these parts, if you will. So if you will, Queen, give me your background as I try to get our other guest on. Go ahead, Queen. Thank you for being with me again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... My name is Shodan Reynolds. As he said, I am the CEO of She Prints It. We're a, a, print, a branding and promotional products agency. We work with all brands, small, medium, and large, but we have a commitment specifically to women in business to help keep their brands top of mind with their ideal clients. Um, that business has afforded me the opportunity to operate in my passion project, I like to call it, which is our She Wear Club. It is a retail line that speaks to um, what I define as a true fashion statement, right? All of our products and designs are speaking to the power of women as a whole, but also specifically to speak to black men and black women. So I am just grateful to have an opportunity where I can be a part of the change. I believe very strongly that the way we truly make impact is wealth, whether we like it or not. Money is power. The question is, how do you use your money? If you use it to empower others, suppress others. So I'm hoping to continue to build wealth so that I can be a part of empowering my community and uh, women across the world. Uh, thank you so much, Shadon. And we do have our other special guest on, Mark Carmen, who's also a returning guest to the Mental Dialogue talk show. And like John, he's not afraid of these conversations. So good morning, Mark, if you will. Say hello to our guest. Uh, other guest, which is John Costino. You've been on with him before, and as you just heard, my co-host this morning, Shadon Reynolds. So thank you for being with us. If you will, tell, say hello to everybody and tell people a little bit of your background as we get started with this morning's discussion question, Do Blacks Need White Allies? Thanks again for being with us. How are you doing this morning, Mark? I'm doing well, man. Can you hear me okay? Is audio fine? You're coming through loud and clear now. We got you good. We got you good. Go ahead and okay. let them know who you well, are. Well, we are we are simulcasting right now. By the way, we're uh, we're going across Facebook on two platforms, YouTube on two platforms, and we are just about to go live on radio. That you can download the app for One Hat Radio from the uh, Apple Store or from the Google Play Store, but. Um, my name is Mark Carmen. I've been on the show before, um, and uh, I'm kind of the guy that gets misjudged right off the bat because of my dialect and the way that I, I present. People automatically just assume I am different than what I am, but I'm very active and uh, open in race relations and in uh, trying to mend some of the fences, and I, I think we ought to stop describing each other by our adjective, instead of saying, you know, gay man, just man, instead of saying fat person, person, and stop, come together as, as one people. That's a big step, I don't know. I know it's a big step, but that's what we need to try to do. And and I'm, I'm pretty active involved in that kind of stuff. No, absolutely. And I'll even say this um, to your credit. Well, before this hot button moment that's obviously bringing this discussion again. That's something, a space that you've been in 
you know, John as well, have been in well before this kind of, as as we kind of see the trend to do, I'm going to throw it back to Shadon to get us in a sense started. We have a slight little unique way we start. Um, Shadon, I think you've participated in this before. And so um, before we go to our first break, everything's all of these need to be very brief. And so uh, it's simply, um, Shadon, you know, I end up switching the title, if you will. So when you heard the title switch, I just want to hear your initial thought, nothing drawn out, just your initial thought when you heard the question on his on his face, you know, on his face, if you will. You heard the question, and if you can think, what did you think when I said, "Hey, here's a new question"? What was your first thought? First thought on it. Uh, my first thought was, um, "There's a difference between want and need." That was my first thought. Meaning, um, do mm-hmm. we need allies? Absolutely because it's a system that we didn't design. But do we all want them? No. We would like to believe that this is a common sense issue and we shouldn't have to have white people to speak on it in order for it to be valid. So that was my initial Sounds thought. good. Nah, sounds good. John, I'm going to throw it to you. Um, keep it short and sweet. we got about 40 seconds before we go to the break. And, again, this is just the initial thought. We're going to do the drawn-out thoughts, obviously, when we come out of the break and get deep and heavy into this thing, but if you will, John, your initial thought when you heard or saw that that was the question, do blacks need white allies? What is your thought, John? Uh, The only thought I had was, of course, if we're not working together, we're not working, I mean, we're working apart. So at all times we should be working together and, and eliminate that whole white, black, or Hispanic, or Asian. If we all are in unity, we can do anything. Sounds good. All right, I'll throw it back to you, Mark, before we go to our initial break. Um, just your first thought on that question itself, do blacks need white allies? I think the answer is probably yes, and I do agree that it's a shame that you do need it because it should be just that the issues could stand on their own. But, I'm, you know, you know me, Montoya, I'm all about unity. I'm all about us coming together and not being separate. So I, I think that we need each other. I think whites need black allies and black needs white allies for us to come together as one people. Sounds good. We're going to go to this quick break, and we'll get hot and heavy. We'll open up the phone lines as well. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, well, all I ask is that you think, do blacks need allies? Peace and power, y'all. This is Baba Amin Oja Woke Up the Uhura Academy. Malcolm X said that education was our passport to the future, for tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. Well, the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is a live, interactive, online experience for youth ages 6 to 16, where they learn life skills, where they engage in academic enrichment, where they engage in, in cultural enrichment via our Sankofa for Success African History Program, life skills through chess, vision development, and entrepreneurship. I'm talking about action-packed. I'm talking about fun, informative, and interactive. A lot is going on right now. We need to be focusing on solutions. And our children, our children are going to inherit these challenges. Let's get them ready. Enrolling them in the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is one way to do it. In my opinion, the most effective way. Visit UhuraAcademy.com right now for more information. I'll see y'all this summer. And I was certain that I might very possibly die. As a matter of fact, I remember 
I made a point not to scream. Just in case I lived, I wouldn't have to remember myself being vocally terrified. But I forgave myself for being terrified. That earthquake couldn't have been more than 35 seconds. This man kneeled on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Can you imagine that? This kid thought he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. He called for his mother. He called for his dead mother. I've only seen that once before in my life. My father, on his deathbed, called for his grandmother. When I watched that tape, I understood this man knew he was going to die. People watched it. People filmed it. And for some reason that I still don't understand, all these fucking police had their hands in their pockets. Who are you talking to? What are you signifying? That you can kneel on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and feel like you wouldn't get the wrath of God. That's what is happening right now. It's not for a single cop. For all of it. Fucking all of it. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Shadon Reynolds. Our question this morning is, do blacks need white allies? Two special guests, John Costino, as well as Mark Carmen. Some of you may have heard the recent special from a Dave Chappelle, if you didn't recognize that voice. Uh, basically gives me chills thinking about and listening to Dave say, in a sense, the reason we're here, the reason, in a sense, why the world is turned upside down. Uh, unfortunately, another hashtag, George Floyd. That's the moment that we're in. So I just wanted to, in a sense, set the tone because, again, Dave came out. Again, if you haven't seen that special, definitely recommend it. Recommend that you see it. Um, a, a credit to Dave in the sense that he said, I didn't want to jump out and say things too soon, even though people were asking for his voice. And, and, and in his opinion, he said the kids are, in a sense, leading well, and he'll 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 get in the back seat, let them lead. Wasn't much of a comedy special, if you if you will, as much as it was, in my opinion, brilliant commentary. I don't know if all if any of you seen it, but we'll start with you, Queen. And the idea is not so much. You know, to talk about Dave, but just, again, we have to make that the starting point to get into this discussion this morning. Do blacks need white allies? And, again, just hearing what Dave had to say, just wanted to hear thoughts, because, again, is that not the spark that started this moment, in my opinion? Your thoughts, Queen? Yeah, I absolutely watched that special, and um, (coughs) isn't it what has sparked the current condition, it's like the the straw that broke the camel's back is more mm-hmm. of what it is. Mm-hmm. This is ongoing. I mean, literally, we were talking about days and weeks apart, murder after murder. You know, Aubrey, Brianna, you know, then uh, Floyd, and, and that's our norm. It is a disgusting, terrifying norm in our community 
So George Floyd just represented just the end of being complacent or I think what happened in the black community before is that each time we try to take something that we can, quote, unquote, learn from the situation, and we took that back to our black children and say, oh, okay, don't put a hood on. Oh, okay, don't run in a certain neighborhood. Oh, okay, don't resist. Don't talk back. So we had all these answers, and George Floyd showed, like, there's no answer. We can't keep trying to be our best to the worst of our universe. And so, um, you know, I, I, I greatly appreciated the David Chappelle special. I, I think a lot of people in his audience seem to be taken aback, but they needed that. Everything isn't funny. And um, I think what uh, my last point is, I feel like white America doesn't really understand the type of hurt and pain it causes us. And so we experience these things. And he gave a great example of how 400 cops came out um, in support of one of their cops that was murdered to kill the, the person who murdered them. And I don't want to give away too much of the special. And so because they felt that, they could relate to that. Well, we feel this. We relate to this on a regular, but we still have to go to work. And our employer doesn't want us to talk about it. They don't want you to bring it up. They don't want you to behave differently. They don't want you to take a mental day. Nobody understands the stress and strain that this puts on us as humans. If nothing else in reparations, we need therapy. We should get therapy for free because of the PTSD that we experience just for being black in America. And so I'm grateful that he said, I'm not going to come out of here and song and dance and be funny for you guys again. Is I need to express how I feel. I need to tell you my truth. Now, thank you, Queen. John, I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, again, I, I agree with Shadon. It, it was, the, in a sense, the camel that broke the camel's back. But just any thoughts, whether it be with Chappelle or even what I guess co-host Shadon had to say, just any thoughts from your perspective, if you will. <coughs> I have not yet heard all of um, Dave's special, but I did get some clips of it. And I mean, it, it needs to be said, it shouldn't be, but it needs to be said. I personally have not met or heard a single person that does not believe that that action was the most despicable, disgusting display. And so while I totally admit, I can't possibly appreciate or understand how anyone in the African-American community would feel as a white man at 52 years old, it was as disgusting a display to me as it could possibly be. And I personally don't know anyone have not been exposed to anyone who doesn't feel the exact same way. So not that that means anything, but yes, we're just as disgusted and outraged by that action as I can be as a white male, if that makes any sense, Montoya. No, you're fine. You're fine. I will tell you, and I'm going to throw it over to Mark. Uh, Mark, having coming out of the law enforcement uh, career field, uh, now a, a, a musician and has the radio station and glad to glad to be broadcasting on his station this morning. Again, appreciate that uh, opportunity to get to more listeners, Mark, if you will. Um, the one thing I'll say even before I let Mark jump in is, um, so 
I, I think I do see that everybody is disgusted by it, but I will tell you in the meantime, um, I personally, I'll throw this out there. Most of my listeners know that I refuse to watch the video, so I, I have yet to see the video. I think I've heard enough details. I can only imagine what it looks like. Uh, but I'll also just mention that while everybody can a sense that's an obvious situation, there are no outs. It's not to, you know, in a sense. So everybody's kind of agreeing with that. But in the meantime, as we are, in a sense, looking, seeking healing, if that's what people are calling it or whatever, there are still those who now, when you heard Dave say, it's not for the one cop, it's for fucking all of it. And what he's talking about is the response of a hurt community to, that, that has had, I'd watch people go through social media having, a, in a sense, they're like, forget your buildings. Forget your buildings because that's the response. People can say that's wrong, and now it's about the buildings. We're like, what about what created the riots? So that's the frustration that we feel. Uh, Mark, I'm going to let you jump in right there again. Um, just your thoughts in hearing, Dave, what any of us are saying, but definitely you know, just want to hear your three cents on it. Go ahead. All right. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is just walking through that matter, um, with George Floyd, number one, everything, all the video that I've seen, he was offering mostly passive resistance, just mouthing off. Okay, now you got him in cuffs. Okay, now you got him in the car. Okay, now why'd you take him out of the car? And four policemen, not one. Not a guy fighting him, a guy who's handcuffed on the ground and four policemen holding him down, one holding him down with his knee across his neck with his hands in his pockets and a smug look like looking at all the people that are saying, just check the guy's balls with a smug look like, what are you going to do about it? Now, let me just say this. If that man would have lived, his civil rights were violated. If he would have lived under color of law, it's, uh, they call it a 1983 code, that's in the U.S. code, a 19, it's not a year, it's just the code, 1983, where under color of law, police abusing authority, and, and he, there was a civil rights violation right there, if the man would have lived. The fact that he died multiplies it about 2,000 times. And here's the issue. If you don't think that black people are profiled negatively by police officers generally. You're living in a world that, that's, that's, that's as much a fantasy as the movie E.T., because it really is the truth. When you have 13% of the population of the, of the country representing more than 80% of the population in prison, i I, I got to tell you, there's a problem there, and it's systemic. And... So when I look at this stuff, I, I look at it from a perspective of my time in service as a police officer, I never violated a person's civil rights in the course of my duty. or I just never saw the need for it. And most police officers are that way. But that little handful that causes all the problems, one is too many. One George, George Floyd is too many. One is too many. 
and it's systemic, and we have to readdress the whole thing. We can't do away with the police. To me, that's a silly idea. Some people are going to get mad at me for saying it, but I don't care. That's a silly idea. You've got to have somebody to take care of crime because there are criminals in this world. But a whole revamping and a re-understanding of, of police engagement with people, black, white, green, but particularly black, particularly black race and race relations, it's got to it's got to happen. We're at that point now where we, this is a 9/11 moment in America. This is we're going to have to change fundamentally a lot of the things that we've always done. And it, I, I, you know, the cop, the topic of the show is do black people need white allies? Well, I'm going to put it like this: the messaging coming out of the White House about gun control, where I got involved in it, was going flat when President Obama was trying to do it. By himself, and it took a guy with my dialect and a guy that looks like me and sounds like me to get the message across to people that look like me and sound like me, because they tuned him out. And you know, and I, I was privileged enough to get to work very closely with him and work with the White House on that on that issue. So I understand that that, that you know they hated him. Don't. I don't know that hate's the right word, but it probably is. They disliked him so horribly because, excuse the term, I mean it sarcastically, the colored man in the White House, the Negro in the White House, offended a lot of white people. And that's just dumb, and we've got to move past that. And so that's where we are in this whole, in this whole conversation. It, it, it is not just the police. It's jobs. It's people moving to the other side of the street when you see three young black males walking down the street. It, it's, it's, it's a systemic thing that's got to be addressed, and we have to talk about it. You know, when you talk about racism, and I'm not trying to take up all the time. I'm just going to say it this way. A person who is an alcoholic must first con- admit and confess they're an alcoholic or they'll never get better. And those of, of us that have race bias and racism in your heart, you have to admit it or you're not going to get better. You can't live under the philosophy of, hey, we're good people. We don't beat our slaves. We give them plenty to eat. We let them come up here in the big house on cold nights and sleep in front of the fireplace and even let, let them eat the leftovers. We're good people. We don't beat our slaves. And racism in this country has got to stop. That's my opening there you go thank you mark and just uh, i want to highlight um just very briefly on uh, what mark was referring to in working with obama president obama uh he was actually the catalyst for one of the executive orders that obama laid out in during his time in with gun control and it was literally based on mark doing a video that went viral explaining uh, a smart way to do it versus the divide that was happening between the left and the right on that issue, if you will. And so he's just, in, from his own example, which I think is a very valid example, uh, it took someone who's a avid gun lover to say, here's a reasonable way to do this, and it actually works out to, to in a sense, cross the, the divide between the left and the right, which sometimes is a harder divide, you know, just, as, just as much of a divide, divide as, if you will, black and white thing. Um, so I'm going to say this to both of you, John and Mark. So as we even do this or start this conversation, can y'all understand 
that even in Shadon saying, I want to do this conversation, it's hard for us as African Americans to even do these conversations. I don't, I'm, you know, I don't have the feeling of wanting to do this conversation. And slight, and for those that know me, slight correction on the numbers, uh, Mark. Uh, we're about, we usually fluctuate about 49 to 51 percent in in the prison rate. Not that that's okay, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you jump us up to 80 percent. You know, we're not that, we're not that high. Uh, but again, that's just a slight correction, just for the sake of what we do with this show. Um, but John, before we go to the next break, your thoughts on. That is again. I'm pretty sure she done still feels the same way, even though she said, "Let's do this." Uh, for the most part, we're tired of even having to do these conversations. Your thought on that? We're gonna go to a break. We'll start getting to the callers and get all the responses. So just, just everybody work with us, if you will. But go ahead, John. Any thoughts on the fact that we're, we're tired of even having these conversations with? You know, I'm gonna say y'all for the sake of this conversation. Uh, absolutely. In fact, that speaks to that question of. You know, do we need to be and, and again, I, I want to rephrase it. I don't necessarily believe that blacks need whites as allies. I want to just erase the markers and say we we together need to become allies till we do. There are too many different forces driving a wedge to separate us. And yes, I absolutely as much as I could possibly understand, agree you have to be sick and don't want to ever talk about this again because it's a topic that should never be brought up. I mean, we are so divided as a society as it is to then throw the, the powder keg in for a senseless murder. And that's the only way to describe it is it's a senseless murder, whether it's a white man murdering a black man, a black man murdering a black man, a white man murdering a white man. It's, it's senseless. It's not necessary. It should never occur. But the fact that it was a white man in law enforcement makes it even worse. So, yeah, I can only imagine how much it bothers you and every single person to have to even have this dialogue. But it, to me, begs back to the original question, should we be allies? It's not about needing. It's not about wanting. It's about universally until we are all united and allied together. There's too many forces, and I won't get all deep into conspiracy theories, but I think at this point, anyone that doesn't recognize there is a very conscious, deliberate means of keeping us divided specifically by race and and creating a sense of, of distrust and anger that's going on in our country and across the globe, but specifically in this country, we're the only ones that are going to resolve that. It's not going to be resolved by legislation. It's not going to be resolved by anything other than us coming together, realizing how much common ground we do have, how much we all do share, and saying, you know, this is our dirt. We're going to share it together we're going to live together. Even if it means we're not 100% the same, we can still coexist and, and be happy. So, yeah, I can only yeah, Let me go to break. Uh, thank you for that thought. No, absolutely. Thank you for that thought. You we're got going to go to break. Um, we are the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, so it's only right that we would bring, as I quite often do, a cut from Dr. George Gru. Uh, what you're about to hear is her describing um, a, 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 a picture of someone being lynched. 
So just to give you all some context for what you're about to hear, I think people will understand why this is kind of, in a sense, a starting point. Shadar, you'll be the first to kind of come in and respond. You can even respond to it, you know, John and Mark, if you feel so. But I think what we're about to see, what we're about to hear is going to be very vital to this show. And then we'll open up the phone lines. I see everybody out there. I think to myself, if I were up here in front of you right now, and this is going to become very important as you move, I move into the other slides. Um, if I stomped a puppy to death out here, up here, just a little puppy, and stomped it right here to death in front of you, most of you would need therapy. And I would be arrested probably faster than killing a black man for killing a puppy. Now, I want you to look at this photo very closely, and I want you to see who's in it. More important than the man hanging, because you've got to understand the lynchings that occurred in America happened after slavery, not during Thousands of lynchings happened after slavery because this is a reaction to white fear of what we would do once free. But we didn't create a vigilante group to take out white people, but they did create a vigilante group to take us out now that we're free. See, that happened after slavery. They were called the what? The Ku Klux Klan. They don't wear hoods anymore. They wear suits. But they're alive and well all over the world, even here. So, look at who's in the picture. I want you to look at this little girl in particular. You can't see her closely, but she's actually grimacing, like smirking. Now, remember, let's go back to the puppy concept here. She would be loathed and torn up probably if this was a puppy, which means he's less than that. Because she's not disturbed. This little girl is not, is not disturbed by this, but she should be, shouldn't she? People always ask me, they go, Joy, what was the impact on white people? There it is. Right there. Can't feel any empathy for him. None. Zero zip. There's a little one back here, even smaller. Because whatever she's been taught or told, socialized to believe, makes him no longer human. That's the greatest danger to white people is that they can't feel it. And there's a reason why white people can't feel what we're talking about. My God, what would you then feel? It's tough. So I've got to believe, oh, it's all over now. It's not my fault. I don't benefit. It's not a big deal. Let's move on. It's not all of those things. But we don't say that to Jewish people. I dare you. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Don Reynolds. This morning's discussion question, do blacks need white allies? Our special guests are John Costino as well as Mark Carmen. Shadon, I'll let you lead off uh, and get your thoughts in on that cut before we get to some of these callers out there. we got several callers. If you're on the line, you will need to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. Go ahead, Shadon. Um. I feel a number of emotions when I hear that. Um, but the first thing it brings me to is that I, I sparked this question in a chat recently. Um, in the thread, they were asking a, um, a white guy um, who, you know, has defined himself and others has defined him as an ally. And I say that because I don't know him, so I can't say what he truly is. Um, but he he posed the question, if I was, they are videotaping what happened to 
Hello, Shadon. Did we lose you? Hello, Shadon. Uh, we lost Shadon. I'm going to um, let us let's go to a caller real quick because we got several of them, so let's go ahead and get a couple of calls out. Emil, I see you out there, brother. I'm going to get you in um, in a little minute here just so, just so you know. <coughs> Area code 504, last 3756. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Yes, my name is uh, Brother Warren, calling from New Orleans. I also have a blog talk radio show called New Orleans Wake Up. I uh, I just want to, in, in response to the question of the of the show, is uh, of course anybody with a cause uh, could have allies, and those allies uh, should go among other people to advocate our cause. However, I don't believe we need white allies in our spaces. Malcolm X, you know, gave a talk about that, that we need whites to go among other whites to talk about how the society is structured on, on racism. Hold on one second, brother. Because there's, somebody, or, yeah. Hold on one second. Um, somebody's typing in the background, so please um, mute yourself. Um, go ahead. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a there's a concept called paternalism, where where whites uh, come in black spaces and assert leadership. Uh, among, no, we don't need that because we've had a lot of that. In fact, some of your civil rights organizations basically was that it was paternalistic paternalistically structured, like the NAACP. You didn't have black leadership in the NAACP well up until like the 1960s or 70s, you know. So, yes, people need allies to advocate their cause in, in different parts of the world or in, or in other communities, but we don't need white people in our spaces where we're trying to develop ourselves so we can then organize ourselves to meet the challenges that face us. Now, thank you for your three cents. I'll get our guest thoughts on that. Um, absolutely. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Malcolm X, and uh, he absolutely talked about um, when he was starting his own organizations after leaving the Nation of Islam. Uh, and, he, and he particularly said, he was really talking to, as always, he was always talking to, in a sense, us, our, his own people, to the extent that it was necessary that we did see ourselves in leadership coming through um, the experience that we had come through, and quite often in partnering with, as, as as the caller said, and partnering with groups, quite often it, it, there was this aspect that it was just kind of inevitable that in often that the whites would take the lead. So uh, I definitely respect those thoughts. Mark, how does um, the caller's thoughts um, sound, you know, to you in reference, you know, kind of what he said, what he, just kind of how did that sound to you? I'm definitely trying to get Shadon back on, but uh, in the meantime, yeah, give me your thoughts. I, I think he's exactly right. Um the parental thing, you know, it, it would be frustrating to me if I had someone over ho hovering over me saying, well, these poor folks, they just really need our help. We can't, you know, we they can't do it without us. And there's a big difference between that and saying, I support you. I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm here to help if you need me. But this is something that I don't think, I don't think white people can understand enough to get right up in the middle of the space, and our and our role in this uh, is is a supportive role. Hey, we're here for you. 
But we don't understand. I don't know what it's like to not get a job because of my race. I don't know what that would be like. No, thank you for you those know, thoughts. I, I see you got Yep. No, thank you for those thoughts. I'm going to let get John, you get your thoughts in on on what the caller had to say, then we're going to get Shadon back on as well. Um, yeah, any thoughts about cool. what the caller had to say from your perspective, John? Yeah, 100% agreement, um, and, and Mark hit on it. it. The role would be support and assist, not lead or take over. The only thing that I would add to that, Montoya, is not just another white person, but anyone who's not in alignment with what your goals are. I think that's a mistake that people make Mm -hmm. all the time is Mm -hmm. when they're seeking assistance in anything, they're not discerning enough in, okay, what's this person's agenda? What is their goal here? Mm -hmm. And if it's not in alignment with the goal of the organization, regardless of their race, their gender or anything, don't ever, you know, give up that control or submit to their leadership because, you know, once that happens, and it happens within the same races, it happens all the time in everything. Mm-hmm. So to his point, 100%, as a white man, your role is to assist and support in any way that you can, not to take over and lead. No, absolutely. All right, let's get this thing turned back to Dr. DeGruz. Um cut, as Shadon was talking about that, and we lost her, we got her back. All right, Shadon, they won't do the phone won't let you be great this morning. So if you can, Queen, you can turn us back to where you were going if you can find find your thoughts again. Shadon, are you live? I got her live, but yeah, she's not, can you hear can't me? hear her. I'm here. Okay. Yeah, we can hear you good. Okay, go ahead, Queen. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, technology was hating on me today, okay. Um <laughs> no, so what I was saying is that um just to wrap it up, is that um, I asked a question. He asked a hypothetical question is what I say, and the gentleman asked a hypothetical question. If he was there and he was recording, he asked the police officers to stop or get off of his neck, would they do it? And so that's a hypothetical. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not in the mind of that police officer, and, and I just don't know what that outcome was. So I I stated that I don't know. I don't have the answer, but my answer in response to him was what what do you think would happen um, if it was a dog? Why is it that there's an outrage with animals? And overwhelmingly, everyone started to come under my comment and say, well, that's, you know, that you have to ask people who are pet lovers. And he's not a pet lover, so he doesn't have the answer to that. And And I felt like they completely missed the point. And so to hear her talk about how if it was a dog, that wouldn't be the issue. This is not an animal cruelty question, comment, or conversation. It's trying to make white Americans aware of how much more empathy they have for an animal or a non-human being than they do for a black person. There was an entire special that was on Netflix, and I can't recall the name of it, but I know it was centered around cats. And they were talking about um, the whole show was about this Facebook group that started because some kid was killing cats, kittens, on YouTube. And these people were furious. They started a Facebook group. They did investigations. They raised hundreds of thousands of dollars until this man was brought to justice. Now, he did turn out to actually murder a person as well. But the outrage 
only sparked because he killed a kitten. So it's not about animal cruelty. We're just trying to understand how can you not relate to a human and you can't relate, but you can relate and have empathy for an animal. And to that last point, uh, people ask, well, what is it that they always ask us, how can we help? How can we help? And uh, one of the ladies in the comments said, well, I am an animal lover. And the reason that I jump in to help with animals is because I, they tell me what to do. Animals don't talk, so other humans gave you feedback on what you all think that you all can do to help. So why don't you have the ability to try to figure that out as white Americans for black people? Why do you need black people to tell you what to do to help when a human being is being murdered? Um, so it's, no, it's, fair it's, enough. It's, I mean, and if you if you. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say it, it, it creates all kinds of emotions. That's just a few. No, absolutely. Um, if you heard, if you listen to Dr. DeGruy specifically, she gives that example and says this is what this period did to white people, the, the inability to have that empathy, uh, you know, along with all the unfortunate Breonna Taylor's, de- you know, deaths and things of that nature, Amada Albury, all, all of it happening back to back. We have to also include the situation, I think it was in New York, where the, you know, the woman, in a sense, weaponized to be able to try to call the po- you know, turn it around and call the police on the brother, and, and, and there was more outrage still about her holding the puppy's neck in the, in the, in the, you know, or whatever, the dog's neck, and the dog was taken. So prime example of what you're talking about, uh, but that's super, super frustrating. Um, so I want to get... Both of our guests' response, and then we're going to go heavy callers because i got a lot of callers, and I want to make sure we take care of them. So we may just go in different directions. That's what our callers do. We have the smartest audience in all of radio. Uh, but just a response to Shadun asking that question on Facebook and, in a sense, not getting an answer, uh, just any thoughts of how it makes us as African-Americans feel, too. We do feel. We always talk about if it was a dog. We say it all the time in our own circles. If it was a dog, they would know what to do. Or if it was a dog, they would act, uh, you know, this type of thing. So that's how we feel. Any thoughts on that? I'll turn it over to John, and and we'll go to you, Martin, and we'll get to callers. Sure, Montoya. And as I promised you when we talked, I would be, you know, 100% authentic. And I'm going to throw another wrinkle into this because I happen to love animals. However, and I mean this very sincerely, if I watched a dog of any breed, it doesn't matter what breed, you know, biting the leg or the hand of of a little kid, as much as I love dogs, I would have no problem if that dog was put down. And that speaks to that incident and that particular dog, not all dogs and not, you know, just in general. So I just want to bring it back to context that while Again, I'm not claiming to speak for anyone other than myself. I don't judge groups in broad strokes or experiences in broad strokes. So look at anyone, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, being lynched. If it was an innocent person, I would be disgusted by it. If it was someone that I had just witnessed committing a crime, I wouldn't feel the same, not that I'm desensitized in general, but I would still feel a sense of outrage for the crime that person, not as a group, not as a race, that person committed. So I'm just trying to keep it in context. And listening to the clip, I don't know the context of it, but I just want to be clear. 
having a lack of empathy for an individual does not mean that anyone is desensitized to a group, a race, or anything else. That's my two cents. Like I said, I just I want to keep things in context because it's too easy to lump everybody into groups or to make broad stroke decisions. And I think that's one of the reasons why we still don't have enough unity in our thoughts and in our feelings as a society. Uh, I'm going to challenge you very briefly. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Please, go ahead, Please jump in. Please jump in. Yeah, go ahead, Shadon. You know, because you said, some, you said something I really want to address this. And you said, mm-hmm. well, if, if it was someone being lynched that was innocent, that you would um, have empathy, you'd be disgusted. But if it was someone who had committed a, committed a crime, you'll have less empathy. And that, that is exactly why we are where we are today. Because exactly. America has demonized and criminalized black people. So you really just answered my question. Because the reality of it is, let her finish, let her finish, let her finish, and we'll let you come back, John. Let her finish. You can okay. come back. Go ahead. The reality of it is, is that whether we want to admit it or not, America has convinced white America that black people are criminals, that we are evil, that we cause harm, that we are a threat. So when we are murdered by the police, The first question is always they do. Um, And you want to find out the criminal side of who we are so that you don't feel bad about what happened to us. And I'm not saying that was your intention, but what I'm understanding or what I'm taking from what you said is that if you think someone is, have committed a crime, that you are not, unaffected, but the level of empathy is reduced because they committed a crime. And a crime, there's punishment, which is incarceration, not death. And for us, the consequence to our crime, whether it's a misdemeanor or felony, is death. Jerry, your response? I'm not minimizing your passion or your feelings, but I'm at them in context because you made some assumptions there. I'm not, again, saying a black person. You immediately jumped from white to black. I'm saying I'm a white man. I watch a a white man commit a violent crime against the elderly, against a child, against anyone. I'm saying as a white man who witnessed a violent crime by another white man, I have zero empathy for that person being put down. That doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just sharing with you that it has nothing to do with race. And my point was, please do not take what I'm saying, hear it in the context that you're looking for, and translate that to a black man being put down. I'm using white, white, white. I'm white. The victim is white. The criminal is white. A violent crime is committed. I have no problem, no empathy saying that person feel I'm not saying I'm the judge and jury. I'm just saying it takes away my empathy for that criminal. Now, again, I'm not talking about jaywalking or speeding ticket. I'm talking about a violent crime. So I'm not putting it in the context of that example. I'm saying we as a society cannot just lump things into groups and broad stroke. And 
this dialogue right here proved the said something, you heard something different, and it's because of our experiences. We, as a society, are all prejudiced because of our own experiences, and that's part of the problem because we don't hear everything the same way. It doesn't make anyone right or anyone wrong. It just means we hear what we want to hear, we see what we want to see, and that's based on our experiences. And for me, the only way we eliminate that is when we come together, we have healthy communication and dialogue, and we start to understand what the other person is feeling, hearing, and seeing, and then we try to find that common ground. So I totally appreciate what you are bringing to the table. I just don't want what I'm bringing to the table to be misunderstood and have you say, there it is, you proved my point, because I'm not proving your point. I'm proving a point that white-on-white crime is as disgusting to me as anything else. And my point is putting down a violent criminal does not desensitize me to any one race, any one gender, or any one group. That was my point. So in understanding your point, let's, let me see if I can prove a point back to you possibly. Again, see if you're open to this, John. So what happens is while understanding what you, what you clearly meant individually, you just explained yourself, and I understand that, in the context of even having these dialogues, because if, if the question is, in a sense, having allies, and y'all, everybody's kind of debunked the idea of needing an ally, that's how we worded the question, right? But in the idea, in the sense of having allies, then what Chadon is saying, although it may not have applied to you individually, what we know in the context of it for us as African-Americans is the idea that if someone is this, there's less empathy. If someone is a criminal, there's less empathy. Well, while you didn't put it, while you wasn't seeing it as a black person, as you're saying right now, the context for us as African-Americans across the board in America is that's all they got to tell white America for the empathy not to be there. Dr. DeGruy says it thereafter. Oh, it's not, it's not that, or he was this. And so what I'm telling you is even in you individually saying it your way, can you understand that it is absolutely in the context while you individually doesn't feel that way, we're up against a society that all we have to do is, as she said, dig into his history so that you can feel less. That's, in our opinion, how it continues to happen. Because there, there, if it's an animal, there's plenty of, plenty of, you know, plenty of sympathy. And just to throw it out for another piece of context, we're talking about the lynching period, which 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 was often, and we can't move away from the history, which is was often mob mob justice, quite often. So it wasn't no trial. It wasn't that. And, of course, I don't, you know, I don't know if that particular picture is that it, but when we start having to do the nuance to that degree, you're losing context of the trauma and emotion that we're feeling. So while you're right, she threw it in that context. Well, if there's going to, in my opinion, if there's going to be a chance to be an ally, you have to be aware of that trigger because that trigger means death for us. At least, And, and, and if I'm exaggerating or over the top with it, that's how it feels. I'll let you respond. I'll let Mark jump in, and we're going to a caller. I, I absolutely agree, and that's why I prefaced it by saying, you know, as we discussed, I was going to be authentic. I brought it up specifically mm-hmm. 
to make the point because I don't want it to get lost. And yes, I do get 100%, 100% what you're saying, but to get the allies to understand, it's just about 100% individual cases. I on no level allow anybody talking about George Floyd to bring up his past. I I don't give a crap what he did, what happened was wrong. I don't care what his history was, what he did prior, literally prior to being handcuffed. I don't care if he beat up six cops prior to being handcuffed. Once he was cuffed, it's over. If he was fighting still, do whatever you need to do to protect yourself. But once you've cuffed him, and he's subdued, you don't continue. So, no, I don't buy into the narrative of, well, he was a criminal or he did this. or It doesn't matter. Once he was subdued, that was over. Now it's part of the justice system. And it's not you as a cop or a group of cops to decide the justice uh, of that man. So, no. I yeah, let me every jump level in right here and let you. Mark make a quick – let me jump in right here and let Mark make a quick comment. Um, I'll, I'll say, in a sense, in the sense of being an ally, and what do you think of this, Mark? So for us, um, it, in our opinion, as African Americans, and I'm obviously speaking to, you know, trying to speak for a group, and I'll let people get in. But for us, that's the conversations y'all need to have with your own to explain you can't do that because most do. So even though John's not doing it, most do. And just kind of, we, to even have a conversation with us about it is frustrating because. That's what y'all would need to do if, if, if people are going to be allies. Any thoughts on that, Mark, and then we're going to a call? Well, one, one thing is, and, you know, again, we're going to keep it real here. It just bothers me when I hear y'all and them and us and we square off in our corners, but it, it's still a fact, and it's an unfortunate truth, but it is the truth. So let me give you a little thing that happened about 20 years ago, and I, and I always like to bring this up when I get in these discussions. Um, about 20 years ago, I went to uh, Baltimore, and while I was in Baltimore, I had some free time. So I went down to the Inner Harbor, and it just happened to be during Black History Month. So I went to a lecture about black history and the USS Constellation and how it had been placed in service in the uh, late 1700s, early 1800s for slave interdiction. And I learned about, you know, a lot about how the slave trade was working and that sort of stuff, stuff through this lecture. But one of the things that I found most intriguing, and, Doctor, I want you to hear what I'm saying. We're talking about animals. I found it most intriguing that the people, the government, the white men who at that time only white men could vote and be in government, but the white men were so concerned about the poor old African slaves bringing over bringing them over, that they had a veterinarian stationed on board the USS Constellation to take care of them once they interdicted a slave vessel. Did you hear what I said? They had a veterinarian on board. Now, we're talking about our founding fathers that we hold in such high esteem that we want to set them up on pedestals. And we fail to remember that the man who wrote the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, owned 200 and more human beings when he died. So until white people like me listen to them, understand uncomfortable truths and say, I don't like that this is the truth, it makes me angry or it hurts my feelings or it disappoints me that this is the truth. It is the truth nonetheless. 
And so when we talk about these issues about people being more concerned about animals, you're exactly right. And the sad part is, and watch me get blown up on Facebook or wherever social media for this, the unfortunate truth is the conservatives, it's pretty clear, you know, I shouldn't say the conservatives, but the people on the left, they are indeed more concerned about animals most of the time and, and because they get real focal about it. Now, I don't care. They're going to blow me up, and that's okay because that's an uncomfortable truth for that side of the equation. And so white people need to keep our nose out of it, that's my opinion, and be there for support. And if you need support, if you need support at the ballot box, if you need support in, you know, at the city hall meetings and in the local politics, and, and getting out there and just and saying, hey, we we get it as best we can. Now, I have felt racism personally because I travel in Asia and I understand the languages in a couple different places, and I hear the things they say. So I get a little microscopic bit of it, nothing compared to what you experience as an African-American person in this country, in the world, really. I appreciate you. But we I actually have, at the I, I, top of the hour. Yeah, we'll be top of the hour. Okay. So we're going to just All go right. to a quick break. And coming out of that break, we're going straight callers. we got to get them on. we got plenty of callers trying to get in. So sorry about that, callers. Roger we're getting that. through the conversation. Yeah, we're going to open up the lines and just go wherever y'all want to take it coming out of this break. We'll be right back. Everybody perfect when I'm scrolling through my phone Ooh. Seems like all they want It's just a bunch of bragging people acting like they get it but they don't It's true What am I supposed to do? I feel like I'm overdue Worked a couple lifetimes I feel like I'm over too Feel like I got more to do I know I ain't done yet Handle what you supposed to do. Gotta teach my son. That. It's a blessing in the sunrise. Wake up and return that. I just hope that you can learn that before the sun sets. Cause when the morning comes, the world gon' keep going on. No, 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 Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with guest co-host Shadon Reynolds. This morning's discussion question, do blacks need white allies? Our special guests are Mark Carmen and 
John Castino. Uh, as I promised, let's get to some callers. Neil, we're going to come to you after the next, after this call. I know you've been on for a while. Area code 414-3796. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. We've got a lot of callers, so we're going to keep them brief, if you will. But go ahead and get your get your thoughts out. Good good morning. This is uh, Baba Oshi calling from uh, Atlanta. Thanks for calling in, Baba Oshi. What you got for us? Yeah, we can hear you clear. Thanks for calling in. Give us your three cents this morning. Well, just very, very quickly, dealing with the question, do we need Caucasian allies? If we're dealing here in America, we need Caucasian allies, especially as a group. Any individual can go on his own and and, and do whatever, because in fact, that's what America's about, individualism. And so, but if a group of us want to do something, we would need Caucasians for a number of reasons. If we wanted to establish a business, uh, take over an area of the city with housing and so forth, those things. But if we're going to do something in terms of repatriation, in terms of going back home, no, we don't need Caucasians for anything. In fact, the problem for us is the fact that Caucasians have imposed their culture on us, which makes us act and think and do what we do. I, I've been listening to the two gentlemen talk. I understand them, you know, and I appreciate their candor. But the reality of it is the problems that happen for African people is a result of Europeans and the mindset that they have coming out of this so-called renaissance that they're supposed to have in the uh, 1400s. And, it, and, and, and they impose that on the world. Because, see, there's no such thing as race. Race is a construct that Europeans developed, stratifying people. You can point to Carol Linnaeus and Johann Blumenbach. There's no such thing as race. The only race there is is the human race, of which African people are the fathers and mothers of. But Europeans came out of that so-called dark age, medieval age, land poor, resource poor, people poor, and they began to go around the world taking everybody's stuff in the name of. When they, when they went somewhere, they didn't come to trade. They didn't come to barter. They didn't come to bargain. They came to take, and they imposed their culture. And if you didn't agree with it, they kill you, just like just like the police today that are trained. This is not the police of the 50s, protect and serve. No, the today's police is comply or die. A lot of them have been trained by the, uh, by the European Jews. They're trained by the European Jews in the country they stole from Palestine and Israel. How do they treat the Palestinians? Yep. Now, Baba Oshie, I, I love your thoughts. I got a lot of callers. I appreciate. It. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. Nah, nah. Thank you for your passion. We appreciate it. I'm gonna let it. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely get let them respond real quickly so we can go to the next caller. But thank you for your three cents this morning. We definitely appreciate that. Um, John, I'm gonna let you respond. Um, being familiar with your work on um, the Race Haven podcast, y'all were constantly talking about the idea of race being a social construct. The one thing that I would add to what Baba Oshie uh, mentioned is is something for all of us to recall. This is a, this is a reality whether we want to or not. It, race is a construct created specifically by the elite, it's something that we want to keep in mind. I think, John, you can kind of run with that, if you will. But just quick thought to what um, uh, a caller had to say. 
Absolutely agree. In fact, that was one of the first things that Dr. Scott uh, spent time helping me to understand the the uh, invisible systemic generational racism that's not the overt hate or violence, but it was basically woven into the fabric of our country. And uh, until that is identified and, and basically reformed, it's got to be destroyed and then reconstructed, we're going to have issues pop up. So, yeah, there, there's such an invisible underlying divide that was created by the founding fathers and created, you know, long before that as a systemic generational situation that people can't dig out of. And, and it's, it's evident in every inner city. Uh, absolutely. Um, actually, we got so many callers, so I'm just going to do a caller, and then Shadon will throw this caller to you. We'll just get some responses to what they have to say, but let's get some more callers in because we got plenty this morning. Uh, Brother Pianchi, I'm going to shoot, go to you, and I got Emil next. So go ahead, Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis. What you got for us? Make it quick this morning. I got a lot of callers this morning. Yeah, I know. How you doing, Montoya? You know, whether doing or not good, you want to stick on a topic, the topic is I can stay on the topic as it applies to politics and econ- economics because, yes, uh, you have black firms and white firms that do ally together, especially in industry and in industry I was in, which is structural steel erection. Uh, we was associated with the Associated General Contractors. You got gun clubs, black and white, and in between that ally together on Second Amendment issues. Uh, you got um, school choice, bail, black alliance for educational options who approve vouchers group and avid voucher groups. And, you know, those groups, that group combined with the Hispanics to go against uh, Obama when he was against the D.C. voucher program. So absolutely the black and white uh, groups ally with each other on political and economic issues. And, you know, one other thing, you talk about uh, the direction that a black group goes, who should determine that. Well, if you're getting donations from major corporations, they're going to want to make sure that somebody's sitting on the board of these organizations, whether it's or the Urban League or the NAAC, to make sure that the funds is going, you know, to what's going to be of the interest, overall interest, and also it's going to serve the interests of the, uh, the donators themselves. And one other thing. Uh, uh, let me you jump got in, brother. We got too many today. We got, uh, thank you for your talk. Okay. Thank you for well, your talk. We just got too many. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, the one brief thing I um, uh, I will say is a few weeks ago we were having this conversation about whether African Americans, in a sense, needed to reorient from whiteness, if you will, that concept. Um, and in mentioning that, I, I threw out this idea of us as African Americans needing to insulate. Like I'm in Atlanta, so I I won't be caught in a a a, a, a neighborhood like a Maude Arbery. I run into run in my own neighborhood where I'm supposed to be. So in a sense, there's safety in that. Um, I, I mentioned that you know, in a sense, very briefly, just to, to say um, in insulating uh, their safety there, but for those who are out there and they're in areas like a Minnesota and not the majority, that's where that uh, that alliance thing has to happen even more so than maybe not self in Atlanta. So, Don, quick thought to you, and we're going to another, we're going to Emil next. Shadon, did we lose you again? May have lost Shadon again. Having trouble staying on the line with us. All right, let me go to Emil. Thank Emil, are you in the D.C. or Virginia area? Where you at, Emil? Thanks a lot for calling in this morning. What you want to bring to the table? We just kind of Northern Virginia. Now, got too many callers. <laughs> no problem. 
so uh, I'm going back to empathy, and I want people to remember that uh, the reason why animals are looked at as differently than black people is because animals are presumed innocent, and black people in America are presumed guilty. That's the simple truth, and that's the lack Strong of empathy, point. and that's designed. And one of the challenges that we're going to have to face as a nation is to unlearn, learn behavior about the presumption of innocence. Due process is written in the Constitution for a reason. People expect, the framers expected, people to make mistakes and do crime. So we have to learn how to go back to a presumption of innocence for all people, and from that comes empathy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. If you, I'm, I'm still on the line if you want to go back. No, absolutely not. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'll get you back if I get a chance. But thank you very much. Mark, I'm going to let you respond to that. Hopefully we'll get Shadon back on as well. Um, but, yeah, you being a former police officer, I think that is a strong point by Emil. I think that is absolutely something that is necessary because that's, in my opinion, where the profiling even comes from. There's this presumption that, that, that ends up being sometimes we see them on YouTube and, I mean, on Facebook – these silly stops were like, why did you even stop me? And it's, it's exactly what Emil said, in my opinion. Your thoughts as a former police officer? Well, I mean, I, all I can do is just echo the same thing that people are already saying. Um, it, it happens. I mean, I, I can remember being a young slick sleeve cop, and uh, I got called for a, an assist because a guy had four black males on the ground at gunpoint, and I get there, it's pouring rain, it's winter time, and it's raining, and there are four young black males on the ground in the rain, and the reason that they were stopped is they looked suspicious. Now, these kids had just been coming. It was, it was indeed about 11 o'clock at night on a Friday night, but they had just come from a high school football game that was about an hour's drive away, and they weren't doing anything. They were doing nothing wrong. And I saw that. I was about 22. I was about 22 years old, and I saw that happen. And I've seen it systemically happen. And anybody that doesn't believe that, that black people are profiled, they're just living in a fantasy world. It just is. But we're programmed that way. We're programmed that when you, <clears throat> when you see things and you, you, you on television and you grow up in, in uh, your culture – we're, we're programmed to, to believe that black people, and I'm saying we, I'm talking about people with my pigmentation, we're programmed to believe that black people are just dangerous and just robbers and thieves and murderers and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And, and, and let me jump in here right quick because we're, we're up against the break. Um, but I also, yes, this is just being honest, that TV also pro programs all of America to include us as African Americans, we just end up having experiences that move us away from this learned behavior, as Emil said. And if there is going to be an improvement specifically in this area, it will require, as he said, unlearning this behavior. I think that is a fair thought from Emil. Let's go to this break. When we come back, we'll see if I can get Shadon back on as well. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Peace and power, y'all. This is Baba Ami Oji Woke Up the Uhura Academy. Malcolm X said that education was our passport to the future, but tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. Whether the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is a live, interactive, online experience for youth ages 6 through 16, where they learn life skills, 
where they engage in academic enrichment, where they engage in, in cultural enrichment via our Sankofa for Success African History Program, life skills through chess, vision development, and entrepreneurship. I'm talking about action-packed. I'm talking about fun, informative, and interactive. A lot is going on right now. We need to be focusing on solutions. And our children, our children are going to inherit these challenges. Let's get them ready. Enrolling them in the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is one way to do it. In my opinion, the most effective way. Visit UhuraAcademy.com right now for more information. I'll see y'all this summer. We learned your English, we learned your Spanish, we learned your Dutch, your Portuguese, your German. You learned our nothing you called us stupid. That's white privilege. And I'm sure it probably hurts for you to hear those two words, kind of like gunshots and explosions from those commissioned to protect you with whisking past your ears. What is white privilege? It is the only five decades of legal acknowledgement expected to correct 400 years of white transgression. It's crack versus cocaine. Blacks receiving almost 20% longer sentences for the same exact offenses of white, for instance. A black man without a record is less likely to get a job than a white felon or maybe it's because we're lazy and we don't work hard enough. Like, what the fuck? 400 years in the same field literally is an incredible resume builder. It is Katrina answering the government's prayers of eugenics, Dick Cheney going fishing the next day, Condoleezza on a shopping spree bush in San Diego. But Kanye is the one you call crazy because, like, it only took the USA two days to get A to Asia, but five for FEMA to get to Canal Street and Esplanade as the one black kid who beat the shit out of the odds, but only thanks to Sandra Bullock, Michelle Pfeiffer, and the White Shadow, so now we all can make it. It is the only time. Thousands of white people are cheering for the black kid to win it in the stadium. It is you looking at me crazy if I told you to go back to Europe even though we didn't have a say. It is you all of a sudden having a problem with immigration like this isn't even your nation. How the hell do you discover some shit that wasn't even missing to begin with you Columbus or tradition? Had white girls twerking in high definition with multicolored hair and purple nails but it was ghetto when we did it. Oh, I'm, I make you uncomfortable. Try a cramp. Welcome back to the Bits of Dialogue talk show. As you hear a poem from Janae Lacey, White Privilege, for this morning's discussion question, do blacks need white allies? If there's going to be any type of alliance, that conversation will come up. I have Shadun back on. We're going to get her quick thoughts, and we're going to go to the next caller. Again, we're just going to keep this thing moving. Shadun, I'm going to ask you to jump in right off of what you just heard just to kind of keep things going because we got a lot of callers. So um, any thoughts on that poem? I think it's, it's an applicable conversation for having allies, if you will. The idea of white privilege will come up in these discussions for people that are attempting to do them. So I think it applies, in my opinion. If you feel different, um, please let me know, Queen. But thank you for getting back on. Yes, no, I think um, what really stood out for me in that poem is that um, – the reality of America that white people don't want to accept. And the reality, see, we nobody wants to be in a space that's uncomfortable, right? And the reality of it is American history, white history, is primarily negative, hurtful, destructive, murderous, and in turn, it makes it very uncomfortable. White Americans have, like she said, they stole an entire nation. 
They destroyed a group of people. They went to other nations. They stole from those people. They weren't interested in trading goods because they didn't have anything good to trade. So they decided they would destroy, destruct, um, and, 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 and kill. And so the, I think we're here where we are today is because if white America really had to sit back and look at themselves in the mirror, they would be disgusted and devastated by what they see. So they choose to not look at themselves, and it's easier to just look at me and judge me. Um, so if we really want to make a change, look in the mirror. Stand there. Stare yourself down. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. You will cry. You will be devastated and disgusted. But out of that, you will be able to change who you are and where we are as a nation so that the next time you have to stare yourself in the mirror, you see something to be proud of. There will always be that stain on the top of the mirror, but you can change the broader reflection. And that's my takeaway from her poem. So, John, Mark, you see how we talk about y'all? That's how we talk about y'all, John. Um, your thoughts um, to what Shadon had to, had to say, and we're going to go to another caller after you respond. Absolutely. Uh, there's no question that if we do not actually listen to, learn, pay attention to our past, we are never going to get better. The only thing that I will add to it, and it's, it's often lost in almost every discussion, is that once we've taken the time to really do the work looking into the past and, and learning from it, is we also have to take personal accountability for our actions today. And again, that's all of us. And one without the other means nothing. Personal accountability without learning from the past, we don't get any better. But learning from the past and not taking personal accountability for our actions today, nothing changes. So they're both very important, and I agree with her. There is a very, very real lesson that has to be learned and, and massive reform and improvement or else we don't move forward in a positive direction. And you know what I always say to you, John, because we've been on other podcasts together, what I always say to you is, unfortunately, we, it's, in me it's the cause and effect aspect of it. We, we never do the, the look back. So, you know, as much as you, I always challenge you on this, every time, you know, as much as you like to bring up personal accountability, it's something that you know I agree is necessary. It's the only way you can achieve as an individual. But America carries on without ever doing a fair look back. So we get zero in that area, and then we bring up, we constantly keep talking about the effects of what, in, in, in a sense, if you, you know. So I'm just kind of pointing out, as much as we say we need to do it until it's done, and this is why a lot of African Americans and myself, advocate, if possible, it's not easy for parents, but to possibly get African-centered education so that our children can see themselves and get the type of esteem that they cannot get or will typically will not get from a public school system. So, you know, until America is even willing to do that part, then I advocate to our children, go to a place where you can see yourselves or at a minimum parents, supplement your child's education because they will not see themselves, unfortunately. Let's go to a caller. Area code nine five four last three nine nine three. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey Montoya, it's Andrew Bourne. Hey John. Hey, what's up? We, hey, you finally got you in. What you got for us? <laughs> Go ahead again. Give us your three cents. I know it's gonna be excellent, but again, I got a bunch of callers, so you know, it might not get to do as long as we normally do. But go ahead. Uh, thank you for getting in with us, Andrew. 
I, I mean, there's so much has has that has evolved in the discussion um, since I pressed the desire to talk. Um, we talked about um, uh, white allies. We talked about uh, the concept of empathy, and we talked about a bunch of those stuff. And so I'm going to try and succinctly address issues. Um, there is a history behind this white ally understanding where the white allies were actually nefarious in intent. Um, the ACA, which is the American Association of Col- American Association of Colonization, that, col- that in- institution was created by racists. All of them were slave owners, and they just wanted to create this country called Liberia to deport all the African Americans after abolition to Liberia. They didn't want black people in the country of the United States. Okay, so put that aside. The second thing is empathy um, and an understanding of humanity. Um, is there a concept of responding in kind? John talked about, okay, great, so you got a criminal past, you did some crime. But remember, George Floyd is accused of exchanging a $20 bill. Does that require death? Is that an accurate respond in kind to the, in punishment for just simply doing what everyone does every, every day? I mean, how many bills? do we all have in our wallet that are counterfeit? No one knows. We don't check the stuff. We just get it as page. Then we go to the next person or the next door and we spend it. So why did that result in death? Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. It's, well, I mean, let, me say this, let me say this real quick to be thing. fair to John. Yeah, let, me just be, let me just in this one little moment, just to be fair, again, just based on what mm-hmm. was said, uh, he, he definitely pointed out, uh, the type of crime that would warrant that. So he definitely was just, he didn't, he wasn't just saying any crime. So just to be fair, you can still make your point, but I wanted to be fair no, in the I, sense that he definitely clarified oh, okay. that part. I, and, I, and, and, I, and you may still make I, your I, point, but just the way you're saying it, is, I would just say you're saying it as if he might have mentioned almost any crime. He did not do that. But go ahead, go ahead, um, um, Andrew. Tyler. Fair enough. But understanding that we all, you know, unless someone totally believes in a death penalty for something as simple as jaywalking, um, then, you know, there's kind of no conversation in that perspective. But, you know, systemically and generationally, especially in American society, meaning I'm from the Caribbean, right? We, don't, we didn't have, you know, white folks running around lynching us, like, you know, like sport or hunting us down like animals. So it's kind of hard to, 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 to understand and contextualize um, that particular culture that is systemically racist for generations and centuries in comparison to another culture, you know, but yet somehow in the mix, um, there's these platitudes in, of understanding. And I, I, you know, it just kind of rubs the wrong way with me. Um, no, nonetheless, thank you, yeah. Thank you for your thoughts. Sister, uh, did you have one more? Yeah, I'm sorry, God, did I cut you off? I'm sorry. Nonetheless, no, nonetheless, sister's on point And uh, I forgot his name. But uh, retired cop, you are also totally on point. Um, and we need more of you to understand this psychology. And also there was one caller that says, hey, you know what? Um, when we're talking about criminal intent uh, in African-American society amongst the sea of white people um, that have been for generations and centuries victimizing and assuming criminality of black folks. Uh, yeah, no, that's exactly what's been going on. And remember, I'm predominantly of Caribbean origin. So I, I arrive in America and I see this stuff and I'm like, WTF? 
Why is this a thing? <laughs> anyway. Hey, we're not a politically correct show, so you can say what the fuck on here, just so you know. <laughs> right, yeah, no, but that's, that's uh, but my... But no, thanks a lot, Andrew. Let me get... People... Nah, thank you for your appreciation. I got some more to call my... to get to. That's my Absolutely. three and a half of two seconds. Nah, thanks a lot, Andrew. Let's go to another caller. Again, we got him out there. If you're on the line and don't know how, it's your first time, you do have to press one and let us let to get in. So let's go to the next caller. 864-244. You got a minute and a half, so you got to make it quick. Thanks a lot for being with us this morning. Give us your three cents on this morning. What's your discussion question? Okay, yes. Uh, to answer the question, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you, you can use, we as, as people, we can use uh, white allies, but I don't think they're needed. Um, I think what we need to realize now, because we as black and African people have been uh, compromised so much to a point where we have become uh, 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 adversities, uh, adversaries against each other. You understand? So I think it's very important for us to understand the importance of exercising uh, allies in, within each other, within our own selves, understanding the importance of, of resource and, and bonding that commitment amongst each other. A lot of us don't feel the 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 importance or the 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 need to uh, put emphasis in African centered education, but I I, I I see you do. Um, so I think that that should be a popular thing. And until we see that us supporting the things that mean we can't really wait on white folk or wait or we shouldn't. You understand? We should definitely practice the importance of uh, you know gaining this dependency amongst each other. First. Nah, thank you. Brilliant. Nah, you ki- yeah, you killed it. Well, within the time before the break, thank you, Aquina. Aquina. Say, teach me how to say the name. I always try to get it right. Say it again for me. Equani. 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 Thanks a lot because you've been a regular caller. Yeah. I want to acknowledge you as a regular caller. Thank you for supporting the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are up against the break. Uh, listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. So you understand the whole conversation about reparations now, because it's really just the acknowledgement that America right. did something wrong. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that's that's the the, the interesting thing is just framing. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Germany. Germany is goes back to Namibia, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna pay. We're gonna pay for what we did, mm-hmm. and we're not paying to pay you off." You know, that's that, I've seen a talking point that people have gone with that. I mean, like black people, you're just gonna get paid off. It's not. No, it's not about paid off. It's about somebody out there acknowledging, "Hey, I." put you down and kept you down so that I could build everything I have today. And as we all understand, with compound interest, accumulations of wealth, holding somebody else down and growing what you've taken from them can lead you to be in a position where they can never, ever catch up to you. There's never truly equality. So the conversations around reparations really have to be in and around that. It's just studying and looking at, hey, is there something we can do in this country that can truly put black people in a position where they are equal? Not just equal on the surface, but mm-hmm. they are equal. And we've realized that on many levels in America, black Americans have been held back on so many different levels. You know, whether it's getting higher interest rates for not just loans from banks, but also student loans. You leave school with a higher level of debt 
for studying the same thing as a student who is white. How is that equality? And I think those are some of the conversations that Americans need to have, but it's been spun again because people have made it seem like, hey, Dan, you're going to have to give them $50. <laughs> hey, Petey, you're going to pay 100 And that's not what it's going to be. Yeah. But I think people have managed to successfully distill it into this simple uh, talking point you know, that makes it feel like it's, a, it's an us versus them conversation, when in fact it's not. No, it's simple. America systemically did something to put black people in a bad position. Right. Now systemically do something to put them in a good position. That's, it's as simple as that. I always ask people, why wouldn't you want that as well? I always go like, why... Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want to see black communities raised up? Why wouldn't you want to? I don't understand why you wouldn't want to see that. And America has a history of doing that. That's another thing for me. America has a history of helping people. You know, America has a history of going, hey, farmers, we're going to give you subsidies. We're going to help the corn industry. Hey, you know what? All you guys who fought in the war, you come back, we're going to help you. Mm -hmm. They didn't help the black soldiers as much. But what they did was they said, if you are a white person who has fought for this country, we're going to help you. We're going to help you buy a house. We're going to help you go to school. And for a long time, that wasn't frowned upon in America. It wasn't seen as a handout. It was seen as a boost. It was a normal thing. But now it feels like once that boost is going towards a certain group of people, now there's resistance to that idea. This is not a country of handouts. This is where you work hard. It's like, yes, we all work hard. But it helps when somebody doesn't block the path that you're trying to work hard towards. Welcome back to the Myths Dialogue talk show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Shadon Reynolds. Do blacks need white allies? Our special guests, Mark Corman and John Castino. Did you hear a cut from Trevor Noah? For those that know, he's not a, from South Africa originally, so that's why he speaks of it from a third-person context, if you will. But obviously a hot-button item was already floating around, um, even over a year ago, kind of popped back up. It's always kind of in and out. Um, I will say in and out to the extent that it typically to me appears to be kind of a political ploy with no real teeth in it, if you will. Um, and I'll even say coming from a background personally, uh, not even thinking that America ever would, so it was never really in a sense a concern for me. Uh, but I definitely, uh, ever since time that he see Coates um, piece on uh, why they were necessary, it definitely changed the um, the idea for me that they are absolutely necessary, um, at least in my opinion. And so now when we speak allies, for me, allies would include getting on board with that repair, which is what reparations are. So I'll start there. Um, definitely want to hear um, our guests' opinions on that. Uh, Mark, I think, I think John may have spoke last. I may have it wrong, but I'm going to let you – any thoughts on hearing, in a sense, the context that Trevor Noah placed that in? Because uh, Ally won't be just these situations with George Floyd. It's going to be in all these areas, in a sense. So if this even is, is as an idea, most people are calling, calling, saying they are, you know, allies are necessary uh, strategically at this point or that point. Um, this would be a point that I would love to hear. What does that sound like for you if this is the request going forward? Mark, did I lose you? All right, John, are you there? I'll let you give a quick response to that. Then I want to hear Shadon's thought, and we'll go back to we have another caller out there as well. And uh, and to uh, Trevor Noah's question of wouldn't we all want to see that? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I don't think it's as simple as just giving money. I think there needs to be uh, systems in place, meaning education should be a priority, uh, assistance in getting a new home, things of that nature. So to me, it just goes deeper than handing someone money. And again, this is not a race issue. I think if you gave any 18-year-old kid uh, $100,000, we can all agree they're probably going to make poor choices with it. So I don't think the answer is to hand money. I think the answer is to get that money, set it aside, and then create you know, a, uh, a system where the people receiving the money guided to make the best decisions for themselves and for their families and their future generations. But 100% yes, I think it makes perfect sense because it brings a better overall community for all of us if we're all in some level. Uh, I don't want to say we're all never going to be equal, but given the equal chance to do our best. Yeah, and that's all, reparations is always a full acknowledgement that it, even in the times, even the, the places where we've seen it done around the world, and it has been done plenty of times by plenty of countries, even this country, if you will, uh, it's never, a, in a sense, a complete recovery because even in getting it, uh, as Trevor Noah mentioned, the idea of interest and things of that nature, but it's such a great starting point for healing, in my, you know, in my opinion. Shadon, your thoughts before we go to the next caller. Yeah, I mean, in, in combination with what Trevor Noah said, but, but mostly in response to the reparations piece of it, um, we do need to be given money. And I think we shy away from that conversation because we know the reality of it is that America doesn't want to put us in a position of success. Um, but, yes, I should be physically handed money. No, I do not agree with the idea that, someone has to walk me through how to use this money effectively because, again, there's that control that white America has. And, you know, I know we're trying to avoid the reality of having conversations about race, but what the reality is is that the, uh, the government is predominantly ran by white men. So that means it will be white men telling us what to do with the money. And that's a problem. Allow us to live through and make mistakes and learn, grow in the same way that white America has had the opportunity. And I would just also um, like to say is that we have been extremely successful in Tulsa, Black Wall Street, you know, Harlem. Um, there's so many examples of black communities that have done exceptionally well and have thrived despite what was going on economically, and they were literally destroyed and burnt down by the government, which is essentially white America. So we don't need help. We don't need you to tell us what to do with the money and how to place the money. We just, we need what's due us. Um, 75% of, or I think that's the number, I'm sure uh, Montoya will get it accurate, but I would say that there's a large percentage of um, economic wealth that's centered specifically around cotton. And 1%, less than 1% of that is uh, revenue or ownership is in white, I mean, in black businesses. That's a problem. This, the, the, the wealth of cotton wouldn't even exist if it was not for blacks in America, Africans in America. So to think that the, the, at, the, at the very least you need to hand us a check, 
But additionally, you need to hand us some land, some ownership, some uh, residuals. Like there's a number of things that we are owed to just get just uh, a small percentage of uh, what is owed to us and get us closer to where we need to be. I, I, you know, we talk about equality. You can't get equality when somebody else is dictating what it looks like. Strong thoughts are done. Um, I think the la- the la- la- a poll about last year showed a, maybe a, basically about seventy, maybe right at a little over seventy percent of Americans um, are still in the you know taking the stance that they're in a sense against reparations. So uh, there's definitely a role a, a, a role to figure out. Um, I'll tell you just to throw out my thought real quick before we go to the caller. Um, I think I was a, personally, to be honest with you, I think I was of John's mindset of, originally with how it should be offered, and then recently um, Bob Johnson on I definitely recommend people go see it. Um, he absolutely was in your in, in on your side of things, Shadon, and as I heard his thinking, it made so much sense uh, from the standpoint of yes, it should be the money, yes, it should be the check, and he just anyway. I mean, I'll give a, a, a terrible summary of even in a sense why he was saying that. Just as you said at the end of the day. With with resources, financial resources specifically, you say you know he's like he he wasn't naive to the fact that yeah will some blow the money he said, but there's plenty of people who understand money and would do well with it and are you know like yourself should done uh, you're, you're you're making a way anyway or whatever but with a check your your business goes into the one that you keep speaking of the one that's going to trade on Wall Street that's going to happen with or without a check that's who you are I respect you so much for that Queen um, but yeah you would get there much quicker with the check in hand so I definitely understand that perspective as well let's go to uh, another caller here. One question. Yeah, go ahead, John. Let me get it in real quick. Because I just want to be clear about this. I'm not saying control how to use the money. I'm saying education and instruction. And and again, I don't know why that has to become a white black issue. If we just took again all white kids, all white young adults, and they were not receiving education and instruction the chances of having success are, are virtually zero regardless of how much money they're given. So my question is, what's the purpose of the reparations? Is it to give money and then watch people struggle, or is it to give the money and watch them thrive? And, and, and if it's coming out the wrong way, I'll apologize. I'm not saying here's your allowance, do what I say with it. I'm saying if the goal is to help people to rise up and there's two paths, one is Figure it out on your own and struggle like everyone else has to, or here's some instruction, here's some guidance to help you accelerate that process and avoid a lot of mistakes that the masses make. To me, I don't understand why somebody would say, no, give me my money and I want to go make all my own mistakes. I'm of the mindset that if I can learn from yours, hell yes, please give me the money and then show me how to best utilize it to take care of me, my family, and my future generations. I don't want the message. Yeah, let me jump in real quick. Yeah, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. I want to get to the caller before the break. Um, but what I'll, I'll just simply say, as with many things, the truth is in the middle. So I would offer maybe a combination of some of what you're saying and Chadun, just as a thought. The truth is always in the middle. But a fair question, um, John. Let's get to this caller because, again, I'm just trying to make sure. For all the other callers out there, I do have to press one if you're trying to get in on this morning's discussion. Area code four four last three eight oh eight. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hello, my name is L, and I'm calling from Atlanta. 
Hey, so what's up, Al? What you got for? We got about a minute and a half if you can if you can pull it off, King. Okay. Absolutely. Let's get some common ground. Directly or indirectly, all white people benefit from white supremacy, whether economically or socially. From the plantation economy of slavery to the social and financial restrictions of the Jim Crow era to the aggressive policing of today's black communities and even to the weaponizing of social services, such as when a white woman calls the police on blacks for doing everyday and legal activity like barbecuing or selling bottled water. The topic of today's segment is, do blacks need white allies? If I may, a quick example. Women are the primary victims of rape, and men are the primary transgressors of this rape. So here's a question. Do women need men as allies against rape? Yes, but not to join women's rape organizations. Men need to confront other men about rape culture. So again, the topic of this segment is, do blacks need white allies? Well, I word that a bit differently. For me, the question is, should white people confront the injustices and inhumanity imposed by other whites? My answer is yes, but they should not be congratulated for it. It is the humane thing to do. My name is L. That's my three cents. Hey, perfect three cents, perfect timing as well. We're up against the break. I definitely want to get Shadun's, uh and John's comments. I don't know if we got Mark back in. If we do, we'll get him on as well. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, but all I ask is that you think. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways. Every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. The Money Motivation brand currently exists. It's a, it's a success and lifestyle clothing brand uh, primarily, and it was created uh, because we saw the demand. It was created in 2017, and we saw the demand for uh, the self-made modern entrepreneur, business leader, high achiever. Um, there was a gap in a prominent streetwear brand that really embodied their journey. So I wanted to take that concept and create a clothing brand that can embody that with a mission that's very simple, which was to inspire a life of excellence and freedom, uh, to promote independent thinking, hard work, taking risks, uh, having a relentless commitment to what you do and a uh, never giving up type attitude. Those are all hallmarks of hallmarks of the brand. And the product line consists of premium t-shirts, outerwear, headwear, accessories, canvas, canvas prints and the like. But there's also a media aspect to this, which dovetails into this podcast actually being created, where I really want to help people be successful in business and build businesses and wealth and be able to enjoy it while they're here, as well as build it for future generations. But it's about being able to live a life of autonomy, and that's been a big part of my motivation to be uh, in the financial industry and also have a brand that can represent that. So the hope is this can influence people to think differently. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. You just hear words from the CEO of Money Motivation, one of our year-long sponsors, 
highly recommend that you go see their amazing clothing line at moneymotivation.com and tune in as we have them on the platform for the Money Motivation Podcast. It's an opportunity where I, in a sense, I'll say luckily get to sit around and talk to millionaires. They definitely think different, and, and it's a, some of the, to John's point, some of that education piece um, to understanding, you know, your finances, uh, you know, in a sense, whether you receive a reparations check or not. Definitely education is absolutely necessary to understand what to do uh, with, with, the, with your money, if you will. Shadana, um, any thoughts from L's three cents before we go to another caller? Um, you know, got, brother got it in quick, said a lot. Uh, he said, hey, it should be, yeah, you could be an ally, but it should be making sure the injustices are stopped. With, with those who are still transgressing them, in a sense, quote, unquote, amongst your own, if you will. At least that's how I took what he had to say. Any thoughts, Queen? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm in a, a 100% agreement. Um, so much of, you know, the conversation, one of the things he says is that you shouldn't be celebrated for it. And I really want to kind of dive into that piece because my experience, um, and, and I noted as my experience, in this conversation is that a lot of times when we're having conversations with or around white allies, um, even my own people, we have, and and when I say my, that's another, I'll get to that point, but um, African-Americans, we tend to feel like we have to protect our white allies, right? And I told you now, you you and I have had this conversation. We have to be careful to not anger them or make them uncomfortable because then they will no longer be our allies. I take issue with that because, to his point, it shouldn't be celebrated. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to have empathy for someone and their issues, and it is the right thing to do to address the people within your circle who are behaving inappropriately and continuing to perpetuate these stereotypes and in turn um, supporting this system of systemic racism that benefits all white people, whether you are racist or not. And so in understanding that as an ally, my, my act is that you do just that. Work within your circle. I'm not asking you to come preach to the choir, which is coming into a black neighborhood and telling us that you agree. Duh. You know, we already know that these things are wrong and these are injustices. And, you know, and I, I say duh jokingly. But we are already aware of all of the mistreatment that we are experiencing. But you're yeah, white more 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 than aware. We we experience it. Like you said, yeah, we aware. experience it. Right. So mm-hmm. you let me let me let me let me let John. No, absolutely, absolutely. Let me let John jump in because he and I have had a conversation particularly along these lines, and so I definitely want to hear his thoughts and we can kind of dialogue it because what you're hearing, John, and you probably are maybe aware of this, but what you're hearing is even how. Our, in a sense, our community, as much as you kind of hate they and us, and I know you don't like that in a sense, but this is, again, this is the context of how we speak. And so I say that in the same point that even we're going back and forth with how we, in a sense, treat you, quote, unquote, as an ally, if you will. Um, your thoughts on hearing hearing that conversation? You know, it, it's it's funny, and I go with a locker room example if we're in it together, if we're truly like, again, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, but, but I think you and I have had enough history that I feel I can trust you and you feel that you can trust me enough to have this dialogue publicly, obviously. If we're in that mindset where 
you don't have to worry about my feelings being hurt because you know what my goal is. And I feel the same way about you. We can have authentic conversations, which includes we don't have to agree. We can disagree. We can debate. We can dialogue because ultimately we know at the end of the day, we both have the same goal. And I think that's where the missing piece is because I certainly don't want people around me that tiptoe around issues because they're afraid of offending me or upsetting me because then I'm not going to ever get the truth from them, but they have to want the same back from me. They have, and that's what you and I talked about, like speak your piece, be honest, be respectful, but don't, don't be fake. And once we come to that understanding, all that other stuff goes out the window. And again, not for the masses, not for broad stroke, not for lumping big groups together, but it starts one at a time, and then one becomes two, two go out there and each get one, and all of a sudden it's four. That's how it grows. So I, I agree to an extent that, yeah, you have to do that if you don't do enough back-channeling and checking to say, all right, this person really does have the same goals. And then once you do that, no, you don't have to worry about offending people or, or quote-unquote, having them no longer be your ally there's not a whole lot you and I can do um, unless we're being honest. And if we're being honest, neither one of us is going to turn our back on the other. That's, that's the honest feeling I have towards it, Montoya, from me to you. And then, of course, that extends to the people that you vet out and trust to bring into that circle, if that makes sense. No, nah, it makes perfect sense. Let's go to a caller. I'll sneak them in. We only got a few minutes left. I want to try to get the ones that are trying to get in on this. 309, area code, last three, 322. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. My name's uh, Deshaun, calling from uh, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois. And uh, Thanks a lot, Sean. What you got for us? So my, my thoughts on this, and uh, as we talk about some things like reparations, and um and allies and things like that um i think that that there are multiple layers and different and um different things that have different effects that we have to do so we have to address things like policing because safety is is key uh white people want to feel safe black people want to feel safe so we have to address something um like um like policing because it's part of how we have order. We all we all are working on a system to have order, and that system of order has to be agreed upon, and also there has to be a way that that it's carried out. That's what we call our policing system now, but it's not one that we can all trust. So it's one that we all that we have to work on to make a system that we can all trust. Education is another piece of that, and education is something that um, has been segregated, segregated, or uh, black people have le- been left out of and not been um, catered to directly because the system of education has been um, created for and by um, white people and has often and by that excluded uh, black people. That doesn't go to say that black people haven't utilized that system, haven't been successful and um, found ways to make it work for them, but it ultimately was created by one part of of a society and by that, it actually worked better for them and to that. And when we ask for things that help us um, or that, uh, that cater uh, more so to us, 
that is a fairness and not and not an extra yeah, opportunity. Such, so that's, yeah, such as such as the money going to the school not being tied, tied simply to property tax. So it makes a school that's on five miles apart completely different. You know, little things like that. That's just a, a fairness. So that's a it's a great ask. Um, Sean, thank you for the call. We've got several, so I'm going to try to sneak in a couple more before we close this thing yeah. out. But thank you for your three cents this morning. And we're going to go to at least one more call. I may be able to pull in two. I don't think I'll get to two, though. Sorry for the ones I don't get to. We do this every Saturday. Keep come, keep, 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 keep them coming, y'all. Let's see here. All right. I already got him. I'm trying to work through them, y'all. Work with me. All right. Here we go. 609. Nope. Nope. Sorry. Give me a second. I got so many trying to get in. I'm trying to get to y'all. All right, here we go. Y'all bear with me. I'm trying to produce. Do the. Matter of fact, I'm gonna just give a quick thought to Emil. I think I see that number again. All right, go ahead, Emil. Any one quick thought before we go, because I got to give a closing thoughts from both my my guests. We're pretty much at the end, but thank you for, for hanging on again uh, for us, King. No problem. The, the goal of today's conversation is to, is to ask the question and answer it, do black people need white allies? And the answer is in America, yes. Let's be very clear. The only way we're going to get those allies is if they understand why it's in their benefit to help us. So I know I should be using us and we, but this is America, and for 400 years, us and we has been defined by law. So let's just acknowledge that that law exists and then work toward changing it so that we can eventually evolve away from them, us. How do we do that? We first, if you teach an old dog new tricks, which you can, you, t- you show the trick, you reward them when they learn the trick, and then as they get better at the trick, you don't say anything and they'll keep doing it. Old dogs can learn new tricks, and the point of it is to get away from the white fragility, get away from the reaction that things have been wrong for so long that they're used to it, and get to a reaction that says, it's in my best interest to see every person in America treated equally under the law. We can't do that as black people alone. We need white allies, but the white allies have to learn for themselves a new trick. And the way we're going to help them do that is by giving them that reinforcement that says, thank you for stepping outside your comfort zone. Thank you for learning things that are hard to hear. And thank you for being reflective and patient in the process and not reacting and going against the thing that we all want. Once we get there, we can have a lot more conversations about getting rid of the we and us. No, I think that's a strong thought to kind of close us out. we got about a minute and a half. Um, I don't know if you have anything publicly you want to get out for people, but thank you so much for pushing through this conversation with us. Um, but if there's anything you want to share with how people can stay in contact with you, please get that out, and then the lecture done and close us out. Simply say thank you again for the invitation, Montoya. My my only goal is to help create a better tomorrow. We are where we are right now because of the past, and until we make the efforts today, it's not going to get any better. So thank you for the invitation. I always enjoy participating, and I'm always available anytime. So both of you have a wonderful day, and thanks so much for the dialogue. Uh, thanks a lot. 45 seconds, Queen, to let them know how they can get in touch with ShePrintsIt.com. Thank you for holding me down, Queen. Thank you so much. Always, always. Uh, of course, you can always support um, ShePrintsIt for any print needs, whether it's 
for family reunion, social gatherings, or just for business promotional product needs. Our website is sheprinted.com. Um, you can email us at info at sheprinted.com. You can also call us at 844-777-5900. And I will just close with another way that you can be an ally to our community and uplift the black community and support us is to buy into our businesses, support us financially, be mindful and intentional where you place your dollar because if you stand out and protest with us but then you go spend money with those who are empowering our suppression, it defeats the purpose. So um, I, I love this. This was an amazing call. I wish we could have went for hours and hours on Yeah, we end. need another hour. So we need another hour. Yeah, we have to end, Queen. We totally no, need another hour. Another hour. Um, so yeah, we definitely need another hour. So hopefully we can get back on this call again, and I'm so grateful for these kings for joining us. All right, absolutely. Thank you so much. We'll close out with a poem. See you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. On evaluating black privilege, black privilege is the hung elephant swinging in the room, is the memory of a slave ship praying for the Alzheimer's to kick in. Black privilege is me having already memorized my nephew's eulogy, my brother's eulogy, my father's eulogy, my unconceived child's eulogy. Black privilege is me thinking my sister's name safe from that list. Black privilege is me pretending like I know Trayvon Martin on a first name basis. It's me using a dead boy's name to win a poetry slam. It's me carrying a mouthful of other people's skeletons to use at my own convenience. Black privilege is the concrete that holds my breath better than my lungs do. Black privilege is always having to be the strong one. It's having a crowbar for a spine. It's fighting even when you have no more blood to give, even when your bones carried you, even when your mother prayed for you, even after they prepared your body for the funeral. Black privilege is being so unique that not even God will look like you. Black privilege is still being the first person in line to meet him. Black privilege is having to have the same sense of humor as Jesus. Remember how he smiled on the cross? The same way Malcolm X laughed at his bullet and there I go again, asserting my black privilege using a dead man's name without his permission. Black privilege is a myth, is a joke, is a punchline, is the time a teacher asked a little boy what he wanted to be when he grew up and he said alive is the way she laughed when she said there's no college for that and it's tiring, you know, for everything about my skin to be a metaphor. For everything black to be pun intended, to be death intended, black privilege is the applause at the end of this poem. Is me giving you a dead boy's body and you giving me a ten. Is me being okay with that. And I tried writing a love poem the other day, but my fingers wouldn't move. My skin started to blister like it didn't trust me anymore. Like it thought I was trading in this noose for a pearl necklace. Some days I'm afraid to look into the mirror for fear that a bullet George Zimmerman its way into my chest while I was asleep. The breath in my mouth is lucky enough to scare a courtroom. I'll be lucky if I'm alive to make it to the stand. For some people, their trials live longer than they do. Black privilege is knowing that if I die, at least Al Sharpton will come to my funeral. 
At least our sharp thimble mason jar, my mother's tears remind us that the only thing we are worthy of is our death. We are judged by the number of people it takes to carry our caskets, black privilege. It's me thinking that's enough. It's me thinking this poem is enough, black privilege. Is this, is this breath in my mouth right now? It's me standing right here with a crowd full of witnesses to my heartbeat. <laughs> 